and welcome to the Tron Church Talking Points podcast. My name is Fraser and I'm here today with Willie and with Edward and we're just here to talk through again the sermons which we've heard together on Sunday to keep uh, chewing over how they apply to us and to, to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord through the week and in the midst of whatever we're going through. Um, I think we'll start by talking about um, the evening service and our sermon that we heard on Ezekiel. Certainly I found it um, quite a challenge. I was on sound in the evening on Sunday, but after the service, we sort of just sat in silence for a minute or so afterwards, just processing what we'd heard, and it it really landed with us. Edward, how how did it land with you? Did you feel a similar sort of challenge? Well, I, I was very much aware during the during the sermon that when Willie paused for a second or two, there was dead silence throughout the building, and I thought to myself, uh, this this message is going home. Because what we're listening to is um, an exposition of, of these two chapters from Ezekiel, which is which is absolutely forthright and 100%. It's not holding anything back. It's not pulling any punches. It's a very, very strong message. And that is why there was such a sense of silence. And certainly for myself, at the end of the service, I sat... <laughs> Not overwhelmed for seven days, but overwhelmed for for half a minute at least, because yeah. I thought to myself, this is this is the kind of teaching which a church cannot listen to and and be left high and dry by. There's got to be a response, and the response needs to be an acquiescence that what we are called to real ministry in the Christian church is something that is going to be very, very demanding at times. You know, being a member of the church is full of joy and happiness. There's a lot of joy and happiness in our church. And you only have to look at, look at the evening service at the end and see how everyone talks together. And there's a lot of joy and support. But at the centre of it, there's this message which cannot be avoided. And uh, I was very struck by the way in which Ezekiel ends chapter 3. And I think Willie ended his sermon by quoting this. Um, he who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear... Let him refuse. Mm. And that, of course, is a, like a pre-echo of what Jesus himself says in his teaching. Mm. If you have an ear to hear, then hear. And it may be that Jesus uh, yeah. had picked up those thoughts from, from Ezekiel and realized that there's, there's always going to be a choice. If we have ears to hear, then we, then we hear and we respond to it. But otherwise, we're, we're in big difficulty. As, a, as we're coming every Sunday to church, we need to be preparing and prayerfully coming with a heart that's willing to be humbled under the word mm. that we're, we're going to hear and that is willing to be changed and shaped and it's yeah it's really easy to come and just not really think too much about it not prepare to to come to church and then you can just leave feeling unchanged and you can mm. get that sort of numbness over time but mm. yeah and it, it would be worrying if we heard a sermon like we did and came away feeling you know unaffected I think I was particularly challenged. We had the the conference, the West of Scotland Gospel Partnership conference on Saturday, and we heard a lot about um, just the the culture that we're living in and how things are. And we were reminded helpfully there that ultimately the answer to a lot of these problems is the gospel message, and that people have their hearts transformed by the gospel. And so, how much more important is it for us to be heralding that message and to be um, fulfilling our duties as as watchmen and um, people who are yeah willing to to go through the pain barrier which there will be 
and to, to share the message of the gospel with people. Um, Edward, you've got years of experience in gospel ministry and I assume at, at points in your ministry you've maybe felt the temptation to per- perhaps avoid these difficult passages or, you know, just at times preaching maybe a, a message which you know will be received more warmly. What advice could you give us um, as a congregation to keep being willing to to preach the difficult things or even if we're not preaching to to share the gospel with our friends? Certainly, looking back over my years as a pastor um, in a church down in England, there would be quite a number of times when when I came to a point of having to decide whether I was going to say something in the pulpit or not. Um, because it's the temptation is to, to be to be gentler than the text allows, mm. and I think I began to realise more and more as the years went on. It's, it's sort of you grow in these things unless you're particularly bright and you learn it all at the age of twenty-one. But otherwise, you, you gradually grow, and you realise increasingly that if you're to be faithful not only to the Lord but to the congregation, you've got to say what the Bible says, and you've got to push it home and be unashamed and be prepared to be slapped on the face at the end of the service or, or to have somebody come up to you and be angry with you. I think you just have to have to, have to reckon that that is part of the price of being, of trying to exercise a true ministry. And it's worth it because you're expressing your love for the people in being true to the Bible. So you push the Bible's message through and as people grasp it, uh, th- those that have ears to hear um, are going to come to you and say thank you very much for preaching like that because that's what we need to hear, especially in, in, in the culture that we have these days. So yes, there certainly have been times when, when I've had to face that temptation. I think a- any preacher or minister has to face the temptation. Um, I think I was very much helped <clears throat> in the 1980s when I was a young senior pastor in my 30s. And down in England, Philip Jensen from Australia uh, came across and and did some lecturing and teaching to to groups of young preachers of whom I was one and and at one stage he said to us the, and a number of young men in a large room he looked out across the room and he said brothers we've got to be prepared if we're going to remain evangelicals we've got to be prepared to be massively unpopular i was about 32 or 33 and i quivered in my seat as i heard this this tough-looking Australian say, we have got to be prepared to be massively unpopular. And I gulped and I thought, right, I, I can see that. Philip was never never afraid of uh, bowling a full toss or a bouncer <laughs> at an English batsman. He was. <laughs> Thank you, Willie. Yes, you're quite right. Yes, you're quite right. The, yeah, the old poms. But but he, <clears throat> sa- he said it straight straightforwardly like that. And that sunk into me, hmm. like the stone into Goliath's forehead. You know that that was a word that stayed with me and um, and certainly helped me. But we're reminded as well last night as well that this is what we should expect. You know, to be massively unpopular. Mm. Well, that is following in the pattern of Christ. It's following in the pattern of his apostles and his prophets before as well. Um, that actually, it's not a sign that you're doing something wrong, but that you're doing it right. Yes. Because if they hate you, they hated me first, and it's because they hate the one who sent me. Um, as long as the reason for the unpopularity mm. is the association with Christ and his words yeah, mm. and not just your own obstreperousness. Mm. Uh, that's important, isn't it? We mustn't get... So 
that was something that's very much in this in this passage as well, because he talks about the toughness. He talks about making your forehead uh, as hard as their foreheads, like flint, harder than flint. Um, but um, it's a toughness suffused with tenderness, yeah. and the power and the strength comes only with penitence and humility. And that, I think that that's very important in this too, and the two can't be separated, and that's why at the heart of this um, there's those two things, isn't there? And, 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 and before, before your face is made uh, as hard as flint, Ezekiel has to swallow the, the whole counsel of God that he's given, which he doesn't want to, and he balks at, the, the, you know, this huge scroll. And you, know, you can see the, the great thing about Ezekiel is you don't have to invent illustrations because it's vivid, isn't it? You know, you can, the, the picture of having this enormous book and scroll of the scripture forced down your throat <laughs> and to swallow it. It's a, very, it's a vivid picture, mm. isn't it? But it's a very telling one because it's painful. And Ezekiel's told your calling is going to be you know, crawling through thorns and sitting on scorpions. And, and you know, and you're going to have to be tough. But, but at the heart of that is you've got to take this into yourself and you must not be stubborn. You must not be rebellious. Um, and so this is not a call to, to, to worldly power. It's not a call to, you know, you will lash them with this and you will stand above them and you will be the master of my word raining down upon my people. It's the opposite of that, isn't it? Mm. Is you mm. will be down there, mm. you know, and that's the imagery of I'm dwelling among them. I sat among them. Mm. I was where they were, mm. overwhelmed. And so he he embodies quite literally in his own ministry the, uh, the, the, the judgment really on, on the people. He, he is part of it. Um, mm. And that's why he is unable to, to speak it, mm -hmm. and I think that's a, you know, that's a very powerful thing, isn't it? But it's an it's an important thing because uh, there is a certain type of person for whom um, being massively unpopular is a sort of exciting thrill. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and that's not what he's talking about, mm -hmm. is it? Mm -hmm. And Paul, Paul, uh, you know, I mentioned Paul with the Corinthians and so on, and Paul had to be very tough for the Corinthians, didn't he? Uh, you know, he, he had to not hold back and discipline them and speak to them and all the rest of it. But this was the Paul who came in fear and weakness and trembling and and was absolutely conscious of his own weakness. And in fact, he, you know, the Lord had to appear to him, didn't he, in, 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 in Corinth and tell him to keep on speaking. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't have to do that if Paul wasn't shrinking back. And so, uh, so that's the thing, isn't it? It's the, it's, it's the, it's, it's the, it's the genuine humbling of somebody who has taken the gospel to heart and is a penitent person themselves who can have that mm -hmm. that power isn't it and mm -hmm. and and those two are right together there in that chapter which i think is what makes it so powerful actually as much as we all come to church having prepared and hopefully ready to receive the word the, the preacher has to do that you know the, the whole week in advance as he's preparing and he's is spending even longer, you know, and he's got to be willing to humble himself and receive the message of the passage himself first as well, isn't he? And yeah, I, I must say this last, uh, well, I actually been working on this for a couple of weeks because I was ill and I, mm. uh, I um, wasn't preaching last Sunday. But I, I felt very conscious of having to swallow something I really didn't particularly mm. want to swallow mm. and to speak something I didn't feel 
I really wanted to speak. And I mm. guess, in a sense, that was a, par- a parable to me of, of what this is like. And I think it is something, and I hope, you know, obviously this is something that speaks to all of us because we are all in Christ called to be witnesses. We're all called to be his watchmen. Um, but I doubt if it hit home harder than uh, to those who particularly have callings in ministry and Christian leadership because mm. I think they of all people would have um, perhaps been most sensitive to rec- recognising the challenges of this, wouldn't you say, Edward? Uh, yes, I, I think that's absolutely right. And it makes me think of the Cornhill classroom where we're preparing mostly young people to be preachers and teachers and leaders. And even in the 16 or, 16 or 18 years that, that we've had Cornhill here in Scotland, I have sensed quite quite a, a difference, certainly in myself, as, as to how to present the role of the preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really come home to me in the last dozen or 15 years because of all the stuff that's coming at us from the world, from society, that that we have got to be not only intellectually reasonably capable of putting together a sermon but there's got to be courage there as well Mm -hmm. because as Paul says to Titus in in Titus chapter 1 the person who is qualified to be an elder is somebody who not only holds fast the word of truth the trustworthy word but is also able to refute those who contradict it Mm -hmm. now if you're going to refute those who contradict it you've you've got to have courage and um and therefore, our younger preachers, if they're going to lead churches well, if they're going to preach well, have somehow got to ask the Lord to help them to be courageous. Mm-hmm. Yes, to be tender and loving as well. That there needs to be this this combination of tenderness, love, mm-hmm. a real concern for individuals, but also this, to be to be faithful to the truth and therefore willing to say that positions that contradict the truth are wrong and therefore congregation we we must resist these things and that persistent determination is an essential part of christian ministry isn't it it is very different from proud dogmatism Mm. that is not what he's saying and i made Mm. that point it's it's the antithesis of that Mm. but um, it can be easy to take refuge and say well i don't want to be dogmatic like that and therefore i'll be soft Mm. But the answer is no. You've got to be humbly determined mm-hmm. and hard-headed mm. and even hard-hearted to some extent in, mm. in that right sort of way mm. and not in the wrong sort of way. Mm-hmm. And the thing that will make it the right kind of way is if you are being constantly humbled yourself by constantly eating and swallowing mm. and digesting and having mm. to take in the hard and, and challenging word of the Lord. And that's so for all of us. Um, but you can't lead others in that unless you're right, leading yes, in that yes, yourself, yes, can you? That's right. Um, but, but the great encouragement is that that comes from the Lord. You know, he says to Ezekiel, yep. they're going to have hard foreheads, but I'm going to give you a, a forehead harder than yes. Emery or Flint, whatever, whichever yeah, one it was. And, 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 and I made the point that, that word, the, the word hard there is the same word as strong, which is actually in Ezekiel's name. And I, I do think that indicates that what he's saying to him is, you know, from your very birth, this has been part of who you are, Hazak, El, God will strengthen you. That's who you are. You are the man whom God will strengthen because you're the man whom God has given this task. Mm -hmm. And and God doesn't give tasks to people that he doesn't give them equipment for. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, we've got to fan that into flame. You know, Paul says to Timothy, doesn't he? Fan into flame the gift that God has given you. So we're not to let it go out. We're not to neglect 
And that equipping comes as we constantly keep on eating, <laughs> eating the word of God, mm-hmm. receiving the word of God. But that's true for every Christian, isn't it? He has equipped us. Yeah. God, Peter says God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Mm-hmm. Now, we can either believe that or disbelieve it. But if we believe it, what it means is we will do what Peter then says, which is constantly keep remembering yeah. the scriptures of the prophets and the script and the words of the apostles. I mean, that's his message. God's given you everything. Now, what you need to do is keep remembering it. Mm-hmm. And you've got the words of the prophets and you've got the commands of our Lord and Savior through through your apostles. So God has given you everything to equip you. But you need to use what God has equip- mm-hmm. given to equip you. Mm-hmm. And the Bible's always like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's such an encouragement for you know all of us wherever we are whatever workplace we're in whatever our home life god has put us there for a reason and has equipped us for that task and you know ultimately our task is all the same but it manifests in different ways for all of us in our particular um situations but we have that wonderful encouragement and freedom i suppose in knowing that you know it's not by accident and we're not just in on our own out of our depth but we have um been equipped for it and yeah that's that gives great strength for us in in mm-hmm. carrying out whatever our ministry may be and, and yesterday you mentioned yesterday's conference and uh, uh paul brennan gave a little study at the beginning just to set us off in the scriptures and it was so helpful because you know he's talking about living where satan's throne is mm. um but that little message of the Lord to the church ends with saying, well, to the one who conquers, I will give all these things. So he, and what does it mean to conquer? Well, repent. So repent, to conquer is to be a penitent people. And you can be a penitent people. And as you do that, you will conquer. And there is great reward. So even where Satan's throne is. So that's that's a great message. And, you know, Sharon, uh, James, if you haven't listened to, uh, if you weren't able to be there, do do listen to the talks. There were, there were excellent talks. And, and Sharon gave a, a masterful summary, really, of her book about the lies that are all, are all around us and the, and the truth that we have to hold to. Um, but it, having listened to all of that morass of where we've come to and how we've got here through all the kind of different corrosive philosophies that have brought us to where we are in our society, she ended up by saying, but the gospel is the answer. Yeah. And it countermands all of these things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, it was such an um, important thing because it's not a council of despair. Ezekiel was called to realism, but not to despair. Mm-hmm. Um, and biblical realism always then leads us to the biblical response, which is repentance and faith, and that's the that's the way of conquering. and And so that is it. That is encouraging, isn't it? And 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 God has and will always equip us uh, for living where Satan's throne is, mm. uh, for dealing with whatever is coming, and. Uh, you know, the, the 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 call of the gospel is never to just hide your head in despair. Mm. It's to lift your head up mm-hmm. and engage, isn't it? And this is very helpful to, for example, students in the university. A young student aged 19 is asked to become Christian Union secretary or president or something like that. And he or she will immediately feel, I'm inadequate to that task. I can't do it. Mm. And yet that's not the case. And they find that as they step out, they trust the Lord and he, he will give them the grace and the strength and mm-hmm. growing understanding in order to be able to, to do what, what is required in order to, you know, to, to yeah. hold those posts down. At one point on Saturday, Sharon 
quoted from Psalm 37, and I went back and read it later. It says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass, wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Mm -hmm. And just that mm -hmm. reminder, it is so easy when we hear of the, the evildoers that are out there in the world to just turn to despair. Mm. But actually here we're saying, you know, don't fret because the, you're on the winning side. They, they will fade like the grass. Trust in the Lord and do good. Be faithful where he's put you. And that that's what we're called to. Mm. Um, and we do it in the Lord's strength. And um, yeah, we had another reminder of that in the morning as well. It was interesting um, in 1 Kings uh, 18, where Phil was in verse 46, it says that the hand of the Lord was was on Elijah. Um, so there's another example of Elijah, God's prophet, who was under the hand of the Lord and um, strengthened by the Lord for his ministry. I found it really encouraging just being reminded, um, you know, Phil referred to James 5, where we're told that mm. um, Elijah was a man just like us. Yes. Um, and yet he had faith and he prayed and was God was able to do amazing things through him. Um, I thought it was, yeah, just so helpful to be reminded of what a privilege prayer is and how God delights to to use us in his service. Um, we, yeah, we, we, as Phil said, we can often um, perhaps become numb or dull to what a privilege it is. And, you know, perhaps... Yeah, Willie, you've written about this in um, your book before, that sometimes when people talk about prayer and they try and encourage us to pray more, it's almost like being beaten over the head that, oh, you should be you know, up at five o'clock in the morning and praying five hours a day. Or, but that, that ultimately isn't an encouragement to prayer. For, well, for me anyway, it's more likely to just make me give up. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Well, it, it reminds me of when that, that book, it, it's called Why We Pray, isn't it, Willie? Why we pray. Yeah, Why we that's pray. Right. It came out about five years ago. And I remember reading that. And when I got to the end, there was a big smile on my face because I thought, well, I can pray. Um, I've got so, so many good reasons why I can lift my heart and, and voice up to the Lord because I'm in this, this relationship which has been opened up to God through Jesus and his, his intervention. And that is the constant basis upon which uh, I, I can pray to the Lord. So it's a real encouragement to, to pray. And as you say, you're, you're not being beaten over the head with the idea that you've got to follow various rules in order to pray. It's why, in a way, the title is um, a bit misleading because it's, well, it's not actually, but it's not about prayer, but it is about why we yes. pray. And yeah. that is because we have a real relationship with the Lord. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so um, it's not about an exhortation to prayer, but it's about an explanation of why prayer yeah. is a thing, mm -hmm. why we have yes. it. Mm -hmm. And actually, you see that very vividly in this story, don't you? Because um, prayer is um, it's a vocalized form of faith, really. It's a, it's a manifestation of trust in God. Um, uh, and, and that's what you see so clearly with Elijah, because God had said to Elijah uh, at the beginning of chapter 18, go and, go and show yourself to Ahab because I'm going to send rain on the earth. But he doesn't go straight and do that. Uh, because we have this whole exposing of the prophets of Baal, and as Phil so helpfully said, and this is why you know reading these scriptures in context is important. Mm -hmm. You don't just pull this thing out; it's part of a story. But 
if he just went and said rain's coming, then the thousands of prophets of Baal would have said, oh, yes, you know, we've done this. But they had to be wiped out of the picture first and totally exposed. But then um, in verse 41, um, he does go to Ahab and he says to him, go and have a great feast. Use up all your stores because, you know, the famine is over. The, the rains are coming. Everything's, everything's going to be wonderful. Well, that's a mark of trust, isn't it? Because the sky was completely blue. There was not even a cloud in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and then off he goes up the hill and sends his servant up to the top uh, to, to look. And it's a manifestation of trust, isn't it? God has said he's going to do this. I've now, I've now stuck my neck on the line, quite literally, by going to Ahab. But I trust God. That's why I can do that. And so my prayer uh, is, Lord, do what you've said you're going to do. I trust you. Don't leave me in the lurch here, mm. <laughs> and uh, and and he does, and you know he's not put off by sending the chap up seven times, and then he sees the tiny cloud. It's a great story, isn't it? The, the, a cloud the size of a man's hand, mm. um, and as Phil said, wouldn't it be nice to have only clouds that size here in the west of Scotland? But um, but to see that, and again, that's a manifestation of trust. He goes back to Ahab and says, you know, get your rain clothes on and get your brolly up and get moving because you're going to get stuck in the flooding. And so all of those is a manifestation of trust, and it's, and really that is what prayer is: is it's it's saying it's saying to the Lord, and demonstrating to yourself, I really do trust the Lord, yeah. because I'm going to put this before you, Lord, and um, I trust that what you've said is is, is true, mm. and that's that's faith, isn't it? And and in a sense, the Paul talks about the obedience of faith, because obedience is the visible form of faith. In, in that sense, in the same way that prayer is the audible form of faith. Because if you, if you really trust God, you obey his word because you know that his commands are good commands. His commands are what will, what will make your life flourish. So you obey God's commands because you trust who he is and you trust mm-hmm. his goodness. And in the same way, so, so that's visible. You can tell, if you want to see if somebody really believes God, you look, look and see, do they really obey God? I mean, I can't see inside anybody's heart, and neither can you, but you can see people's lives, can't you? And you can see if they're living in, a, in obedience to God. And that says, oh, well, they trust God. Mm-hmm. And similarly with prayer, if you see somebody who is trusting God, well, they take their prayers, their concerns to the Lord and, and trust him yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, and let him answer his way. And that was such a helpful thing, wasn't it, the way Phil, you know, so it was very different from the previous chapter where, you know, Elijah says one word and bang, the fire comes down. And this time it's totally different. Mm, yeah. And you say, well, why is that? And the answer is, well, we, we don't really know. There's well, a bit of a mystery. To. And we don't, exactly, yeah. we don't need to because what we do know is God is the same. Yeah. And we can still trust God yes. to whether it's boom fire or whether it's seven times and then a cloud the size of a man's hand or whether it's something completely different. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is, do we trust God or not? And, and it's, it's, yeah, Phil's, Phil's point about God's promises producing prayer, that actually what it means to to trust God's sovereignty is, you know, to respond in prayer, not just to sit back and say, well, God's sovereign, so let him take care of it and doesn't matter what I do or what I say or what I pray. Which is exactly the same point as, you know, God has equipped you for this, but therefore equip yourself. So God's sovereignty and human responsibility are never in the scripture opposed to each other. Mm. People so often make them as though these things are incompatible or imposed, but actually one flows from the other. It is because God is sovereign that we are responsible, therefore, to act in line with the understanding of God's sovereignty. And that's why we pray to him, and that's why we trust him, and that's why we do what he says. And what a 
like what a joy and a privilege that God should choose to use us, you know. Yeah, that he he wants to to rule with us and he's given us great dignity and that we, you know, under him are in this position of um, responsibility and we yeah, God delights to use us. He could do it on his own if he mm. if he wanted to, but he's chosen to to use us in that and mm. It's a wonderful encouragement, I think. That was his point, wasn't it, about the about the the dignity of of prayer. That God doesn't need any of this and doesn't need any of our involvement. But mm-hmm. it's a marvelous thing that He chooses us to do that. I've chosen yeah. you to be my friends, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, and that you should go and bear fruit. Um, and that that is a great privilege, isn't it? And so our prayer is simply an expression of of that privilege. Mm. Um, and it is a mystery, but it's a, it's a marvellous one yeah. uh, that God calls us to. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense of our corporate prayer meetings at the church. We gather there. It's perhaps a little bit costly, a bit sacrificial to come out on a winter's night when it's raining uh, on a Wednesday evening. But the fact is we're there together and together, unitedly, we lift our voice to the Lord. We say amen to each other's prayers and then we wait to see what happens and uh, uh, as I think you said the other day, Willie, sometimes the Lord will quickly answer our prayers and, and, and we can discuss mm. that at the prayer meeting mm-hmm. uh, j- j- just from a prayer of a month or two previously. Mm. Other times we have to wait. But the fact is we've put our requests to the Lord together. Um, we're united in our prayers and we wait upon him for, for blessing in result. Mm. And it's it's a great thing to do. It's a great thing to do. Mm. Well, that's uh, an encouraging place to end there um i think next sunday phil's um back in one kings in the morning is that right probably chapter 19 yeah i think so um so it'd be helpful if you read through um chapter 19 in advance i think particularly with these um passages of narrative it's helpful just to to get the story into your head before you you come to church on sunday so That'd be helpful if you do that and willie are you in ezekiel again yes and i think we're going to be looking at um several chapters of Ezekiel, probably chapters four, five, six, and seven. Um, so that's a lot of text that will really help. I think if people are read through that, we will be probably majoring on uh, chapter four and a bit of chapter five, but um, dipping into these others too. Uh, I'm not going to, I think, go through Ezekiel one verse at a time. Um, we have to sort of take the flow of it, otherwise it might completely floor us. But yeah, if you can read those four chapters, you'll have a, a good understanding. And look out for uh, look out for a certain words. A key a key verse is chapter Ezekiel five eleven, um, and I think chapter six and chapter seven expound those. He talks there about detestable things, that is the Old Testament word for idols and abominations, and the detestable things come in chapter six and the abominations in chapter seven and a key word in that chapter is the word pride which is quite interesting given what we were all thinking about on uh, saturday fraser it's been nice having you on this side of the uh, microphone <laughs> instead of on the other side with your headphones on. well they were all clamoring for it well it's by popular request if i yeah. <laughs> fraser's got a friend club so <laughs> well thank you very much for listening and we hope you listen again next week Bye.